Hey, how's it going everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to something brand new that I'm calling X-Lapsed Point One. And if you're currently hearing this, it could be for one of four reasons. First, um, I finally got my guts together and started that Patreon. I've been kind of juggling around for the past several months, and you were kind enough to support the show. Two, I started the Patreon and it flopped very, very badly, and uh, I decided to shut it down, and this is now on the main feed of the program. Three, I just didn't get my stuff together and didn't do a Patreon, and this one went on the uh, main feed right away. Or, I guess four is I did do the Patreon, but I had this episode as the first episode out as a sample on the main feed. In any event, I want to thank you so much for checking out this program, and uh, let's talk for a bit on exactly what X-Lapsed Point One is going to be. It's basically going to be filled with stories that don't quite fit into the other programs here. You know, the main x show talks about current year stuff. Essential x talks about, you know, from the Silver Age on. We're going to talk about stories here that don't really fit. And the initial um, thought process behind this was that I wanted to take a look at some of the retellings of the early stories. There were things like uh, X-Men First Class that would fill in blanks. Uh, There was Professor Xavier and the X-Men from the 90s, which would retell the Lee and Kirby stories. Things like Hidden Years, which are in continuity, but they don't really fit into the mission statement of the Essential X-Labs. So I figured we'd cover those kind of stories here. We'd probably also fit in some Quicksilver Scarlet Witch stories here. I mean, this was just going to be the uh, catch-all for the mutant stories that uh, don't quite fit. And, you know, in hindsight, if you're following along with the Essential X-Labs, you'll know that we did a three-part Mentalo trilogy (laughs) as part of that show. And if I'm being honest, uh, that Mentalo story probably would have fit better. Now, I originally intended to have the first episode of this program be the Tad Carter story from uh, Amazing Adult Fantasy number 14, which I did cover at Chris's on Infinite Earths as part of the X-Lapsed Origin series of articles. This was a story called The Man in the Sky by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and included the first appearance of mutants in the Silver Age. It predates X-Men, but it has a lot of the same themes, like the fear and the hate that would come into the X-Men. That was all first mentioned in that uh, amazing adult fantasy story. Then I thought, okay, well maybe we can go even further back. There was a story in Yellow Claw number 3 called Concentrate on Chaos by Jack and Roz Kirby, which features the first mention of mutants in the... What would we call 1956? The Golden-ish Age? The very, very early Silver Age? In that uh, interim period between ages, I guess. But that would be the first mention of mutants in a Marvel comic. And while that story really wouldn't have very many repercussions on uh, what we know now, I felt like it was kind of a necessary, uh, if if nothing else, just a novel thing to include uh, in the history of mutantdom in Marvel comics. But you guys know me. If we're going to do something, we have to go all the way back to the beginning, right? That's kind of just the way I do things. And, uh, well, I pose the question, who is the first mutant? I'll give you a hint. Uh, There was a book called The First Mutant starring this character back uh, in, what, 2003, 2004? The tsunami stuff. It is, of course, Namor the Submariner, or as uh, 10-year-old Chris would say, Namor the Submariner. And so we're going to be talking a whole lot about him as we start this uh, program and this little project off here as we work our way through mutantdom in the Marvel Age. Um, I even thought about calling this show Imperious Rex Lapsed, but uh, I thought that would pigeonhole us into just talking about Namor, where I certainly 
don't want to limit us to only speaking about Namor here. I tell you, I'm very much looking forward to this because uh, I've never read these stories. I know very, very little about the Golden Age, and so this is a wonderful opportunity for me to broaden my horizons and uh, really familiarize myself with uh, the Golden Age of Marvel, like the seminal stories that, uh, that built the foundation for pretty much everything we read now. Now, before we get into Namor's first story, uh, a little bit more about the Patreon, if in fact uh, this is on Patreon, and uh, right now it's like a 50-50 proposition. Um, I'm still setting up the page as I record this, and it's asking me to do like a tier program. If you give X amount, you get this. If you give X more amount, you get that. And frankly, I am uh, kind of at a loss. Uh, Reggie and I did have a Patreon a few years ago, but uh, he set that up. And I had very little to do with it outside of creating content for it. So this is all new to me. And uh, Patreon is very helpful in giving ideas for what sort of uh, rewards to give. But unfortunately, I don't think anybody would be interested in them. They suggest things like hosting an AMA and ask me anything. But I, the way I look at it, who, who would want to ask me anything? <laughs> I really don't know. If I'm wrong, please let me know. Also, things like Hangouts, and I think to myself, who in the world would want to hang out with me? So that's another one that's, I don't know, I can't wrap my head around it, but if I'm wrong, please let me know. The only thing I really know how to do is create content. And so, we have Xlapse.1 as the uh, Patreon-exclusive program, at least uh, as of this recording, that's what it's planned to be. But if this uh, group does turn out to be even marginally successful, I am open to any possibilities here, including the aforementioned AMA hangouts. Uh, we could do a book club, a regular monthly, bi-monthly thing. Uh, we can open up a Discord when I find out what a Discord is. <laughs> um, I'm cool doing giveaways here. I'm always on the hunt for stuff. And it would be really cool to be able to share some of the, uh, the treasures that I find. And also, uh, the one thing that I do have currently in the tiers, at least as of this recording, is uh, listener requests. If anybody has a request for a book they'd like me to discuss, X or otherwise, that is currently an option. So uh, we will play it by ear for now, and uh, we will learn on the job, I suppose. Um, now, with all that out of the way, one more giant thank you to anybody who is listening to this before we hop into the first appearance of Namor the Submariner and no. That's not Marvel Comics number one. It's actually something called Motion Picture Funnies Weekly number one, which has an April 1939 cover date. Also, we will be discussing Marvel Comics number one, October 1939 cover date here, because uh, only the first eight pages of the 12-page story appeared in Motion Picture Funnies, and we'll get into that as we go along here. The story is called The Submariner. It's by Bill Everett, the creator of Namor. Edits by Lloyd Jacquet, or Jaquette, of Lloyd Jaquette's Funnies, Inc., and Martin Goodman of Timely. Now, Motion Picture Funnies was free with your movie ticket, and uh, Marvel Comics number one was ten cents. Now, you might be asking, and I wouldn't blame you if you did, just what in the hell is Motion Picture Funnies Weekly? Well, this was a 36-page black-and-white promotional comic that was handed out in movie theaters during the spring of 1939. And it is the first ever publication associated with Timely Comics. And we even have a little bit of fake-ass comics history on this one. Now, the word is, the comics industry forgot about this issue entirely until it was discovered in the office of a recently deceased publisher during the late 1970s. Apparently, only six to nine copies of this one exist. And there's only a single cover image of it online. 
So if you're familiar with this image, it's got the words pay copy written on it with pen, and I did my best to remove that from the cover art for this episode. I I don't know how good a job I did. Uh, You could probably still see some remnants of it. Now, it's worth noting that Motion Picture Funnies Weekly did get a little bit of a shout-out in the Marvel Legacy one-shot from 2018 or so. There was a scene where there was a crate found with the number 4-1939 on it, So, April 1939, which of course was the release date of this issue. So, a neat little nod to this one, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, Motion Picture Funnies after our synopsis. So, let's hop right into the first story of Namor the Submariner. Our story opens with the Submariner rummaging through some salvage, but he's not the only one doing it. You see, above the depths is the SS Recovery Salvage Ship where they're just about to send down a, uh, you know, a Big Daddy from Bioshock to take a closer look at the wreckage. Now, what Big Daddy Nelson discovers is, well, someone appears to have beaten them to the punch. You see, the safe of the ship was uh, busted open, and the entire wreck has been rifled through. Nelson surfaces and shares his uh, information with the captain, and the captain decides to send Nelson right back down, along with a fella named Carly. Now, this wreck is deep below the surface, where the water pressure is so intense that it wouldn't be possible to survive outside the, you know, the Big Daddy outfits. Now, Nelson approaches the wreck with an acetylene torch, but is surprised by the fact that the ship's door has been left open. They then notice a strange swimming fellow, which, you know, shouldn't be possible this deep. And, of course, this is our Namor. Now, he's puzzled by the interlopers from above and assumes by looking at them that they are robots. Namor avoids them, but finds what he believes to be their control wires. Well, they're actually air hoses and communication cables, but uh, that's about to become a moot point. Namor cuts through the cords, uh, which really does a number on our divers, as you might imagine. What's more, he swims right up to them and... kills them. He kills them. He violently stabs one of them repeatedly and then crushes the other's helmet. Like, crushes their head in the helmet. So, like, right out of the gate, we are, uh... We are really deep in the brutality, which is kind of surprising. Now, up above, the captain notices some bubbles hitting the surface, and he sends another fella named Anderson back under the sea to check out what's going on. What he finds is the gruesome scene of his dead partners. He doesn't stay down there too long. You know, he doesn't want to risk getting the bends, or repeatedly stabbed, or having his head crushed, so good on him. By now, Namor's had enough of this crap, and so he swims up to right under the SS Recovery, then he shoves it out of the drink and onto some nearby rocks, which splits the steamship in two. Quite pleased with himself, our hero grabs the two robots he just deactivated and heads to a secret underwater door. He says, Doma, which is either the name of the doorman or an Atlantean version of Open Sesame. Inside, he carries the corpses into a chapel-like chamber, and here we meet Thakor, the Holy One. Now, Thakor looks kind of like a catfish with Rob Liefeld broccoli floret hair. The Holy One has Namor, and he actually calls him Namor, by the way. He has him unscrew the diving helmets from his quarry, and he's shocked to learn that these were, in fact, not robots, but Earthmen. Just then, Namor's mother enters the room and congratulates him on beginning their war of revenge against the White Race. She then turns to a squire called Karal and asks him to ossify the dead guys as an example. So, uh, hopefully we won't be getting a scene of, uh, of Karal, like, flaying the flesh off these characters so he can set up their bones. 
Now, Namor wonders why his mother hates the Earth people so much. You know, after all, his father was a land dweller. He was, of course, Commander Leonard Mackenzie. And so, it's time for Princess Fenn to share the secret origin of the Submariners and their war with the Whites. You see, back in 1920, so 19 years before this story, which I suppose would make Namor around 18 years old at this point, there was a ship called the Oracle, which came from America to the seas above the Submariner's ancient home at the floor of the ocean at the South Pole. Now, these Americans set up a base on an ice floe directly above, not Lantis? <laughs> I don't know what we'll call this place. Now, over the course of the next several weeks, their experiments and studies caused quite a ruckus for the ancient city during which castles were demolished, submariners were dying left and right, and so Princess Fen was chosen to act as a spy, since she looked the most like a female of the white race. So she heads to the surface, where she'd be discovered by old Lenny. Now, he treated her with kindness, dressed her in warm clothes, and fed her human food, both of which did a number on her system here. She couldn't be, you know, covered in clothes, and eating human food was just not an option. We learn here that submariners can only be out of the water for up to five hours at a time, and so Fen would have to sneak away to take dips several times a day. Now, over the next little while, she developed a friendship with Leonard, learned how to communicate with him, and eventually they would fall in love and marry. Now, all the while, she was spilling all the beans to her master, which basically amounted to, hey, you know these humans? I don't think we can beat them. But that was then, and this is now, and uh, now we've got Namor. And Fen thinks it's the right time to send Namor up to the surface, to the land of the white people, to exact their revenge. And this is where the strip ended in Motion Picture Funnies number one, but we do have four more pages that were included in Marvel Comics number one. And uh, the art changes a little bit too. It's still Bill Everett, of course, but I don't know, it looks a little bit clearer from this point on. Uh, maybe it had something to do with the transfer, I, I really don't know. Anyway, we pick back up with Namor heading into an adjoining room, where he meets up with his cousin Dorma. Now, she's excited that Namor has been sent to the surface and wishes to accompany him. He nixes it, citing that it'd be far too dangerous, but if she wants to, she can come with him halfway. And so they swim, until they eventually reach the Cape Anna Lighthouse. So we're at a lighthouse, right? So what do you think Namor's opening salvo against the white people is going to be? You think maybe he's going to slaughter everybody in the area? Maybe he'll just knock the lighthouse right into the water? I mean, what kind of gruesome plan could Namor have for the white people? Well, he's going to politely knock on the door, head inside, and smash the light atop the lighthouse. And he figures that, hey, you know, maybe a ship or two might crash without the guiding light. So, Namor knocks and Dorma acts as a lookout. Some goofball answers the knock, only to get smacked silly. Namor pushes his way in and then uh, flips a giant switch to, I guess, turn the light out like a true badass. Now, unfortunately, in the time it took for him to do so, the guard recovered and grabbed little Dorma. Namor lunges, grabs the guard, and throws him like half a mile into the ocean here. Just hurls this poor idiot. Now, Dorma warns that there's a sniper atop the lighthouse. And so our man makes a mighty leap and socks the would-be shooter. He then climbs to the top where he smashes the lights with a shovel. By now, the Coast Guard or Navy have arrived on the scene, and Namor notices a small plane flying nearby, and so he takes Dorma in his arms and leaps up to it. He murders the pilot, sits Dorma in the cockpit, and then instructs her to crash the thing, which is just insane, uh, and then Namor himself dives back into the drink, and that is where we leave it. Now, what a weird and uh, wonderful 
little story here. Like I mentioned, I don't have a whole lot of experience with the Golden Age. Uh, Golden Age comics, I've tried reading a handful of them. Uh, anytime I can get my hands on a reprint or a collected edition, and they just don't hold my attention. I don't know if they're just so long in the past that I feel disconnected from them. Like, I feel like the stories maybe don't matter so much, at least in the context of uh, what we what we have nowadays, which I, I guess that probably is reason enough to yank my fake-ass comics historian card, or maybe it's verification that I am indeed a fake-ass comics historian. But I had a blast with this one. Namor was uh, never a favorite character of mine, but more often than not, I usually consider him to be a really cool character. I love the moral ambiguity. I love how dismissive he is of others around him. He's just a really cool character. Whether he's a good guy or a bad guy or somewhere in the middle, it's a... He's an interesting and complex guy, and uh, to see his first adventure is insane. I mean, two pages in, and he's already repeatedly stabbing someone and crushing another dude's head. It's uh, not what I expected here. Another thing I really didn't expect was getting quite the origin that we got for the Submariners here. And of course, it's a bit different from what we know now with Atlantis and stuff like that, but uh, it was pretty cool to get so much information right off the bat. Such an unexpected education I got in reading these 12 pages, and uh, and I mean, it facilitated some, uh, some rabbit hole dive in here in trying to figure out everything else that went on in motion picture funnies and even Marvel Comics number one, and we'll, we'll get to talking about that in just a little bit. But perhaps most of all, I'm finding myself developing a greater appreciation for uh, the Golden Age, for Bill Everett, and for uh, Namor the Submariner. Marvel's very first mutant, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit more about uh, the other stories that appeared in Motion Picture Funnies Weekly here, most of which I haven't been able to find anything about uh, on the internet here. I, I may be looking in the wrong places. If anybody knows where to find some of these stories, not that uh, not that we would discuss them at any length, it's uh, more of a uh, curiosity and as a, uh, as a novelty, a, a milestone in uh, Golden Age history, but appearing alongside Namor the Submariner in this issue are Cartoon and His Copycat by Martin Filchok, Jolly the Newsy by George Pita, Spy Ring by Jay Fletcher, and The Origin of the American Ace by Paul Loretta, and uh, I believe that one will be reprinted in Marvel Comics number two. Actually, that would be Marvel Mystery Comics number two. Speaking of Marvel Comics, let's uh, talk about what appeared alongside Namor in Marvel Comics number one. We got The Human Torch, not That Human Torch, by Carl Burgos. And this is the Jim Hammond Android version, and he's made many appearances since, uh, even as recently as a few months back in the pages of Iron Man. We got The Angel, not That Angel, by Paul Gustafson. Uh, This is the Thomas Holloway Angel, not Warren Worthington III. Now, he would show up here and there throughout Marvel history, but uh, not all that often. We got The Masked Raider by Al Andes, and The Masked Raider would appear in the semi-recent Marvel Comics number 1000. Jungle Terror by Tom Dixon. This is a one-off starring Ken Masters, and uh, not the Ken Masters from Street Fighter. Burning Rubber by Ray Gill and Sam Gilman. This is a street racing one-shot starring Billy Williams. Probably not Lando and the Cult 45 guy. And we got The Adventures of Kazar the Great, not that Kazar, by Bob Bird and Ben Thompson. This is the David Don't Call Me Danny Rand version of Kazar, and he never made it out of the Golden Age. 
because by then we had another Kazar who appeared in X-Men number 10, and we discussed that issue in the Essential X-Labs to episode 15, which is available in the archives. Now, before we get out of here, a few final thoughts on Motion Picture Funnies Weekly. It looks like there were supposed to be at least another three installments released. Uh, however, none of them actually were. And you can easily find the unused covers online. They're, uh, they're easy to find. Now, it's rumored that Amazing Man Comics from Centaur Comics, September 1939 cover date, picked up the numbering from Motion Picture Funnies Weekly uh, since it launched with issue 5. Now, Bill Everett would contribute the art for this cover, which features, I'm going to assume, Amazing Man, and he's bound at the wrists and ankles, and he's taking a bite out of a snake. Hmm. Now, the back cover features an ad for another Centaur comic called Keen Detective Funnies, which has a very similar trade dress as another Detective Funny book, and they also use big sound effects that yell, Flash! And it also introduces uh, their lead hero, the Masked Marvel, who looks somewhat similar to another Marvel character of the day. So yeah, Centaur Comics, a little bit hacky. But uh, that's really all I could find on Motion Picture Funnies Weekly. If anybody out there listening has any more information, I would love to hear it. Because this is a uh, pretty strange and it feels like a forgotten piece of history here, a pretty big part of history considering the building blocks of what would ultimately become the Marvel Universe first showed up here. So really, really cool stuff. So happy to have read it, so happy to have shared it. But I think that's all I got for today. Now since I am recording this far ahead of time, I can't thank anybody personally, but if you are listening, please rest assured that it means the absolute world to me. So thank you all so, so much. If anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, you could do so several different ways. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapse voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, Chris is on infiniteearths.com, Facebook, 90s X-Men, and of course the archives, chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And if, if I did get my stuff together, and this is... On Patreon, well, the Patreon address is patreon.com slash xlapsed. And if it is a place, well, I hope to see you there. But that's going to do it for this first episode. I would expect future episodes to not quite be this long, since uh, this one had a lot of history and pre-ramble. And uh, I don't expect every episode to have quite that much. But I hope you did enjoy it. I know I enjoyed putting it together. And one last time, a giant thank you. And as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.